Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Sabbath School from Home. I'm pleased to be here, my name's Cameron. And I'm Luke. Yes, and Luke, there's no ambiguity about what order we introduce ourselves this week because uh, it is just you and I, uh, but looking forward to this discussion a lot. The um, This uh, lesson quarter um, on mission has turned out to be fruitful for lots of interesting conversation and discussion and lots of ideas and um, challenging ideas. And uh, I guess that's good, otherwise it wouldn't be much point having the discussion. Uh, but I think this week is going to be no exception. Um, I'm going to kick off by reading the uh, story referred to on Sunday of this week's lesson. And then I'm going to read through some passages, Luke, if you don't mind, from the lesson. Because there's some quotes there that I think are really good, but there's a slightly... Um, well, Cam, it's it's highly unorthodox for us to refer to the lesson, much less quote from it. But if, if you really want to do it, I won't stop you. Well, <clears throat> I, I want to because there's some very good ideas in it. But there's also some ideas put together with the suggestion that they flow naturally. And I'm not sure if they do flow naturally. Um, so that is the path we're heading down. I'm going to start reading from Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 17. One of these days, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins have forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier? (coughs) Sorry. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up his bed, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things. Right. The context, Luke, is mission to the needy. Mm. Well, it, it, I mean, it's certainly a uh, an example of Jesus helping the needy, but also people helping each other. So the people are quite famously taking their friend to receive hmm. and i suspect yeah. uh that's what the lesson is referring to i think it is uh, or why the lesson has picked out this verse yes um <clears throat> the lesson makes this comment by bringing their friend to jesus these men took on the responsibility to care for him god is calling us to be like this man's friends to lead the needy to jesus christ now um mm, we need it, to come back and it sounds uh, like you have a slight issue with <laughs> I don't. I think we are called to lead people in need to Jesus Christ. Um, what it means, what what I'm interested in is that uh, this is a mission to the needy. And what this sentence does is conflate the idea of mission with leading people to Christ. And uh, this is um, obviously part of the mission. If you are at all a Christian, you can't escape from the fact that we're called to sh- share Christ and to be Christ to a needy world. Um, 
So, uh, well, let me let me pull you up in there because that is an interesting choice of words. Do you see a difference between sharing and being? Uh, yes, it's possible to share Christ in a way that is not very considerate or is overbearing or is um, done to assuage a sense of a spiritual itch, mm. something that we ought to do. Well, um, is, is it then really sharing Christ? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. So, I mean, um, or is it sharing something else? Um, you know, I, I can, for example, um, I can... Let let's say you um, uh, you are hungry, mm. right? I can tell you a lot about food. I can tell you a lot about how to grow it, how to prepare it, um, how to make sure it's nutritious and tasty. I can give you all yeah. of that information, but I have yeah. not actually given you food. Oh, Luke, this is so good. And at the risk of at the risk of preempting some future verses. Not only could you tell me about food, but you would, you could possibly pray that I would find some food. I could, I could, I could give you thoughts and prayers. Uh, well, this is exactly the interesting tension. The passage um, from the lesson continues, and then it quotes a, a quote from Ellen White, which I think is a lovely quote, and it it opens before my mind the sort of um, space that I think we should explore. It says this: bringing people, bringing the needy to Jesus Christ is a work that requires faith, action, patience, and a willingness, if need be, to be unconventional. The men who came to Jesus encountered barriers. They couldn't bring their helpless friend to Jesus through traditional means, but they didn't give up. They found an innovative way of getting the man to Jesus. Jesus' desire is for us to bring helpless friends to him. The Bible refers to Jesus as the great physician who longs to forgive and heal those who are suffering, uh, whoever they are. And then it quotes Ellen White. Uh, Do not wait to be told your duty. Open your eyes and see who are around you. Make yourselves acquainted with the helpless, afflicted, and needy. Hide not yourselves from them, and seek not to shut out their needs. Who gives the proofs mentioned in James of possessing pure religion, untainted with selfishness or corruption? Who are anxious to do all in their power to aid in the great plan of salvation? Well, who indeed, Luke? Um, can you take us to James? I certainly can. Um, and the, her reference to James is one that I actually knew about um, and was not, well, you know, it was great to hear Ellen White referring to it, um, but it's a very interesting one because um, I came across this particular passage in James when I was looking through the Bible for examples of where people have been instructed um, or criticized for not uh, looking after orphans and widows and poor. Um hmm. And, and foreigners, right? Those are the four categories of sort of marginalized people that the Bible consistently refers to, mostly in the Old Testament. And because it's mostly in the Old Testament, there have been arguments made within Christianity that this command or instruction or, or priority is no longer relevant, right? That we, you know, um, it's it's fascinating. Um, the, there's a verse in the New Testament that's quite famously misquoted where Jesus says the poor will always be with you. Uh, and it's yeah. always taken completely out of context. There is a very similar verse in the Old Testament which says specifically and explicitly, the poor will be always with you, so you must always look after them. Yeah. It, is a, it <laughs> is a duty that you will always have. Yeah. Right? Um, completely the opposite meaning of the way that that phrase in the Bible is, is, is referred to. But anyway, yeah. James is an example of where this commandment is given in a Christian context 
to New Testament believers, right? So um, it is true that there are fewer references to this in the New Testament, um, but it is not true that there are none. And, and James is one of them. And it's a really fascinating passage. I'm going to read from, it's chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. The verse that Ellen White is specifically referring to um, is 26 and 27, those two verses. But the whole context of the passage is fascinating. And pay attention, I think, listener, to the ideas that are connected together and sort of put in the same category. Mm. Um, so verse 19 starts like this. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now that verse alone, um, there's a lot to unpack. Um mm. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Luke, the Isn't that, that a brilliant passage? It's a brilliant passage, and that one thing that comes back repeatedly is be very careful of just talk, of talk exactly. on its own. Talk on its own is, is pretty hollow. And this is picked up later in the book of James. And this is, this is the really fascinating question, because Ellen White um, asks two questions, and I think the context suggests the implication that these questions are, are the same question, in different lights. So the first one is, who gives the proofs mentioned in James of possessing pure religion and tainted with selfishness mm. or corruption? And the second question is, who are anxious to do all in their power to aid in the great plan of salvation? So my question is, given that Ellen White's referring to this passage from James, what is the great plan of salvation she's talking about and what does it mean to lead someone to Jesus? Well, I think, yeah, you're getting to the... the crux of uh, kind of the topic of this episode um because the the assumption that anyone who grew up seventh day evidence will make when you say lead someone to jesus is a very specific one um because this is how you are taught that this is the definition of that word as you are taught as a seventh day adventist it means to talk to someone about religion yes to Bible convince study? them to convince them to do Bible studies, have them accept the twenty-eight is what we're up to. It used to be less uh, fundamentals, and and sign a written document to that effect. Uh, be baptized into the Seventh Day Adventist Church as run by the General Conference of Seventh Day Adventists, yeah. um, and then uh, pay tithe. That is what the Seventh Day Adventist Church defines as bringing someone to Jesus. It's yes. Well, you got to be careful, Luke. Because um, that is not what many Seventh-day Adventists would believe. But institutionally, 
if you said in practice, what is the sorts of steps, you know, because there seems to be, there is obviously a difference between what the institution officially says, what the institution, how the institution actually behaves and how the individuals individuals within it behave. Mm. And, um, well, and it's what you've described... What you've no, described ahead. is not is not so much what the institution officially promotes in in word, but it is sort of like when you break things down to it in practice. Yes, it's not the doctrine that the church claims. However, yeah. and, and it's probably not what most individual church members believe. You say, can you be saved without being, um, you know, going through that process, or, or can you yeah. can you be brought to Jesus without going through that process? People would say yes, and they'd point at biblical examples like the thief on the cross and things like that, right? Um, yeah. But when you go, well, does somebody need to be baptised to be saved? Yeah. The correct Adventist answer is yes. Now, how can someone be baptised? Well, we only baptise people into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and to do that, they must accept the 28 fundamentals. Yeah. So we are essentially saying, by practice, what we believe is that you must be Seventh-day Adventist to be saved. Yeah. And we don't actually believe that. But that's all we do. Now, is what we say we believe and think we believe what we believe, or is what we do what we believe? Yeah. So the question is, Luke, if someone came and said, I, I believe in Jesus and I want to belong to him, but I have trouble with a few fundamentals, can I be baptised into Christ, with the baptism of Christ, um, but not into membership of the, with, with the church? Um, w- would, would a church actually do that? Because if the answer is no, if most churches wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, then um, then we are, in fact, saying that leading people to Christ yeah, means... I, I hope and I believe that there are many Seventh-day Adventist ministers who would do that. Yeah. But I have never seen it happen. No. And that seems to suggest that the sort of mission we do is very much focused on introducing people into church membership. And, um, well, why not if the church is a place filled with people who are seeking God? At the same time, there is a strong need for any group to just... um, There's a great sense of validation. Everyone feels validated in what they believe if someone else also chooses to believe it. And um, that's, I think, a trap. What what strikes me, Luke, is uh, that whatever leading people to Christ means, amongst all the different points of view we've looked at, it involves a lot of talking to them about Christ. Mm. And... These two questions, who gives the proofs mentioned in James of possessing pure religion, untainted with selfishness or corruption? And then the next question, who is anxious to do all in their power to aid in the great plan of salvation? Now, if you, the phrase, you must all do, use everything in your power to aid in the great plan of salvation, that is the sort of phrase that might be used to motivate people for a street evangelism event or to encourage their neighbours to come to a seminar uh, but I haven't used this phrase. Are you anxious? You know, from the pulpit, you can in my mind's eye, I see a preacher saying, uh, "Let us be anxious to do everything in our power to help in the great plan of salvation." I've never heard that phrase used to motivate practical giving to the needy. No, um, and that's because Cam, you haven't heard my sermon where I refer to James. All right. <laughs> I don't use that exact phrase, but that is, yeah. is very much the gist of it. Um, and I, I commend and reassure the church that 
that their community service activities are part of the church's mission and an important part. Because a lot of churches think that, but they also feel guilty that it's not evangelism. Because yes. we've been taught that evangelism is the highest form of service to God, and anything other than evangelism is less. Even those of us who don't believe that um, evangelism is the only form, and there are some Adventists who do believe evangelism is the only form of, of mission, um, still have been taught, even within myself, and I intellectually really don't believe it, but there is within me the, the idea very strongly that evangelism is the, the highest form of service and everything else is, well, you just do that if, you, if you're too scared or not very good at evangelism. Hmm. And I don't think that's true. And yet I, I, I feel, I'm made to feel it. But yeah. look, I mean, let's put together specific words. Like if hmm. Ellen White is referring to James and she says, this is what it means to, to be, what, what was the phrase in the Ellen White quote again? Uh, possessing Possessing of pure religion. Right, that's right. This is what it means to possess pure religion. Well, what the passage in James says is, to possess pure religion, you need to listen carefully, speak carefully, don't get angry quickly, and look after orphans and widows. Yeah. Be, be and, and, to and listen and listen, slow to and, speak. And then additionally, listen to the word and do what it says. And again, part of the word says, look after orphans and widows. Now, there is nothing in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, about proselytizing or evangelizing or converting. Nothing at all. But this is why it's interesting that it's quoted in the lesson in the context of bringing people to Jesus. And I actually think that although um, in some sense it's a non-secular, maybe in another sense it's absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, Jesus just helped a lot of people. And um, later on in the lesson, it talks about Jesus' sort of five-point plan where he, he, gets to, he, he mingles with people who have needs and he gets to know their needs and, the, and then he heals them and then, and then he calls them to follow him. But in point of fact, most people that Jesus called, he didn't... Sorry, most people that Jesus healed, he did not mm. call to follow him in, in the sense that the 12 disciples were called. No. Um, um, so, in, I mean, extend that a bit further. The, the the people who carried their friend to Jesus and and pulled the roof apart to let him down, they were not called to talk to their friend. Either. They were called to carry him physically well, and dismantle here's an idea. the roof. Yeah, here's an idea, Luke. Supposing someone is hungry, and you say, "Ah, my memory is that Jesus kind of was a bit into helping people who are hungry," and um. I will give this person some food. And so you give them some food. In a sense, they have encountered Jesus in you. Well, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that is a very good way to, to understand the phrase bringing someone to Jesus. There's a, there's a line in the um, musical Les Mis, Les Miserables, mm. um, which I think is a is is a paraphrase of a line in the book, which I think is a paraphrase of some other writing. I, I'm a bit fuzzy on those details, but the line is, "To love another person is to see the face of God." Mm. Yes, and it, it's sung right at the end of the play, 
Yes. Um, Almost the closing as, line. As, as prisoner six four two zero one is is dying. Yeah. Um, and and um, Fontaine has come from heaven. Yeah. To to welcome him to his reward. Yes. Um, the other and, interesting thing about it, Luke, is that it's sung to the musical theme of um, "Do you hear the people sing?" Which is the great revolutionary outcry that earlier in in the story is is used to sort of encapture the fervor of a of a very um, of a movement for of justice. an earthly movement. But it's, yes. it's 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 a movement for justice, but it's an earthly movement with physical violence here on earth. And then they use that same tune at the end of Les Mis, and the suggestion is that we are all of us involved in a great struggle between this world being not the way it is and the world be- becoming better or becoming worse by our actions. And um, Jean Valjean is is very much the pacifist. He mm. he's a great agent of peace, but it sort of casts him as the great countercultural revolutionary um, because he has loved the needy and. Um, it's a really sort of just the use of the tune in the two places mm. um, brings two ideas, you know, oh, together no. that I think are, are really good. It, it is it is very well done, and I encourage uh, people to go and, and watch or listen to one of the great performances of that musical because it is amazing, um, and and listen out for that line. Um, but it, it's very similar to that idea, Cam, um, that when you help someone you are bringing them to god you are showing them god um maybe maybe you could even say when you help someone you're bringing god to them mm. in the sense of where they you, are you you're being the the hands and feet of christ yeah so um let, let me let me read the final sentence on uh, friday's lesson um friday's lesson thursday's lesson thursday's lesson uh and then i'm going to pick out three keywords we've talked about, Luke. So this is the final sentence on Thursday's lesson. Remember the goal. No, let's rewind. Final two sentences. Um, Final paragraph. Let's make an attempt to begin making a friend this week by being a blessing to someone. First, survey your context, community, village or city. Do you know of any refugee or immigrant living there? How about the people that live on your street? Do you know them all? Regardless of your situation, making friends with a stranger is not an easy task. Let's pray and ask God for help. And I, that's actually a challenge to me, Luke, because I don't spend mm. enough time praying that God would actually help me find people that need help. Um, mm. That's actually very challenging. Um, and I hope God is listening to this uh, podcast, Luke. I don't know if he subscribes. I hope so. But he can he can take note as he's doing that and, and say, note, this week I must work harder at bringing people to camp. Throw camp to people. Come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he knows everyone and knows the stranger that you can become friends with. Remember, the goal is to be their friend so that you can help by leading them to God for help. Yeah, I, I like all of that very much up until that last little bit where there's just an idea of of, of you, ulterior motives. Why do you need, why does that have to come in? Well, the trouble is as soon as you say, remember, the aim is to be their friend so that as right. soon, it doesn't matter what comes next. Yeah. No, it um, doesn't. It doesn't matter at all what comes next. Your motive for being their friend is not to be their friend. It's to achieve yeah. something else. Yeah. And that's, suddenly it, it's not selfless. 
Well, it's, it's very odd, and it seems to suggest that what we are thinking of when we are friendly to other people is not that person, but we're thinking of the thing that's foremost in our mind is our obligation as Christians to bring people to Christ. And um, it seems to me that that's not what Jesus was thinking of when he met people. He was actually thinking of their pain. Well, and the other thing, Cam, and I think this is exactly what we've just been talking about. When you say your goal is to be their friend so that X, Y, Z, uh, or you, so your goal is to be their friend so that you can then lead them to God. You are separating the act of being their friends with yes. leading yes, them to Luke. God. We've just stated that it's the same thing. Oh, Luke, Luke, that's the exact problem. This introduces a distinction. It suggests that it's possible to be friendly, to be a good friend, and to be all that a friend should be, but for it not to be an activity that leads them to God. Hmm. And um, yeah, so what exactly. you're saying, Cam, is that all true and good friendships are leading people to God. Um, yes, I think that there's a sense in which God, um, there's the parable, and this is something we spoke about before the recording, but the parable of the two sons, and one of them, their dad said, go out and do some work, and one of them said, no way, Jose, and uh, sat down with his PlayStation, and the other one said, yeah, 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 I'll do it, and um, the one who said he was going to do it never got round to it. And the one who said, no, he'd rather sit and play. But if, uh, eventually he got up and went out and did the job. Um, and what Jesus' point in that story was is, um, uh, if you're called to act, the only thing that answers the call is an action. It's not sort of an intention. And mm. your intention might be to lead them to Jesus, or it might just be that you're really interested in something that they're interested in or you want to learn more about their culture or whatever else it is, whatever your motivation is. Um, if you are being a friend, that is that is, you are engaging with them and forming a relationship with them not for some ulterior motive other than an enjoyment of that person and, um, and an, a growing appreciation of that person and to give them a chance to uh, know you and the mutual fellowship that that brings uh you know that is a godly thing hmm. the three phrases i wanted to come back to luke were mission so this lesson is on mission and and this whole season's on mission but this particular episode we're doing is mission to the needy the other is evangelism and the other phrase we've used is leading people to jesus hmm. and um they're I'm imagining in my mind a Venn diagram, but that's because I'm a maths teacher. So, of course, I imagine a Venn diagram. I imagine but, you spend most of your day um, yes. just contextualizing everything with Venn diagrams. Venn diagrams, yeah. There are there's two circles. One represents the things that can be contextualized with a Venn diagram, and one of them represents the things that can't be contextualized. No. Um, uh, but, you know, so you've got these three phrases, and there's obviously an overlapping point. And I think this is mm. where I agree with the lesson. It is possible to evangelize in a way that is being a missionary, that's a mission to people, because I see mission as a broader term than just evangelism, um, and to lead them to Jesus. And there's obviously a great confluence where these things converge on on meeting the needs of people. Um, there are also some sort of obvious fringe cases where you fall into one category but not the other. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the the in the Spanish Inquisition, the bishop who looked at the city and said... Um, we're engaged in God's mission to hunt down heretics. And the soldiers say, well, we're going to go into this city, but who, who do we kill? How do we know who the heretics are? 
and the bishop said, just kill them all. God will know his own. Yes. That's a focus on God's mission, which which is not really evangelistic and it's not leading people to Jesus, but it's very much a devotion to, to a cause. Um, and then it's possible to be evangelistic in a way that... Um, it's possible to be evangelistic in a way where what you're really caring about is bringing people to your church, not to your Christ. Mm. And it's it's hard. It's hard to to to. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, you know, from the pastor's point of view, it's that's the same thing. There is no difference between bringing people to your church. But I, I think, I mean, the discussion we've had tonight and and many other. Um, things that I've, I've I've read and seen and heard, um, there very often is a distinction between those two things, and and you can't just do the one, and say, well, we're doing a good job because the church baptisms are increasing. Yeah, it's um, very you tricky, have to isn't it? you have to do the other one, or this, or you, you know, you have to bring people to Christ or bring them into the church. It doesn't matter at all. In fact, it's going to be horrible uh, for them and and everybody else. Yeah. They're bringing people to Christ and bringing Christ to people. Um, and then there is a... Oh, see, here's another set of three things to think about. Oh, look, there's a whole set of podcasts. So the first three that I talked about was evangelism. Uh, verse, I say verse in air quotes because it's not really opposed to, but evangelism versus mission versus bringing people to Christ. Um, how about this for an interesting set of three ideas to compare? Bringing people to Christ, bringing Christ to people, finding Christ in other people. Mm. So when Jesus said to search for the kingdom of God, part of evangelism, part of mission, if Paul is to be believed when he says, you know, a body is deficient unless it has all its parts and the parts will have different jobs. You know, when you are encouraging someone to join your community of faith, you are doing that not out of, simply out of a, a position of abundance. You have everything that this person needs and they'll come to you and you'll be able to help them solve all their problems. If it's really true that the church is like a body and, and, each part has its own proper function, then when you are doing evangelism, you're doing it out of a need. You're saying, we need you. There's Christ is in you. Christ has the capacity to work in you. Um, that and, oh, God, in a way that's that... That's a really good point. Because um, I've heard lots of evangelism and, it, and, and, and it's always about, well, you need Christ. And that's yeah. true. Um, um, but I've never heard an evangelist go out there and say, Christ needs you. Yeah. You know. Or we need you. We need you because Christ has a special part for you in our church. And you are part of the body of Christ and our we are we are in the we're disabled because you're not with us. And one of the reasons why this becomes a little bit um problematic, Luke, is getting back to the sort of Bible study twenty eight fundamental approach, is that approach very much suggests that we don't need you. Mm. We yeah. want you to we join have no us. No need for you whatsoever. Your joining yeah. us is entirely for your own benefit. You, yeah, exactly. And we will save you. And and there's the sign that you will have been saved is that you will then become like and that us. You will be a church member. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm on the clock, Luke. We were going to do a shorter episode. Mm. Well, we still have the opportunity, Cam. It's not too late. Well, in that case, in that case, I'm tempted to leave it there and just uh, pose these questions. Um, a couple of questions. Summary thoughts. One was the thing that the thing that jumped out at me um, in that final sentence, which was, um, "Let's pray and ask God for help." Mm. 
Yes, I loved that that part of that sentence of the lesson. Yeah. Let's pray and ask God for help in finding people who are in need. And let's so that pray we and can ask... share yeah. God with them. Yeah. And let's pray and ask God to give us the courage to be unconventional. You know, when these people brought their friend to Christ, they did something sort of crazy and weird. And, you know, where we are stuck by or blinkered by our um, sort of cultural upbringing or our expectations of how God's going to act, we need help with that being removed. And we need help bringing people to Christ, but we also need help bringing Christ to them by just being Christ's hands and feet. We especially need help in that advice from James where it says, um, be slow to talk and quick to listen. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I mean, and the irony of saying this on a podcast where I've done a lot of talking is not lost yeah. on me. Um, I, I don't actually find it very difficult to be slow to speak. Yeah. But I do struggle to be slow to become angry. So I yeah. need to pray for help with that one. Yeah. And, of course, the whole medium of the podcast, Luke, is one where we do all the talking and not much listening at all. Unless our listeners email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com, in which case we listen with rapt attention uh, to what they say. So um, let's, I think, leave it there. Uh, lots of challenges, lots of things to think about. Um, I guess anything that causes us to think of mission in a broader context and bringing people to Jesus in new and exciting ways is good. Um, I've certainly got lots to think about. Uh, thank you for listening, and please join us again next week. Uh, uh, Locke and Ken are both travelling interstate at the moment, so um, but they should be back on board for next week. Uh, we we hope you are. Hope so. Yes. And um, we hope you join us again also. And uh, please share this podcast with anyone who you, who you feel would benefit from it.